mind praying over us this morning, Zach? Father, we, uh, we're humbled and thankful that we can sing that in truth. That you are the way, you are the, the life through your son Jesus. And God, this is not a, a moment in time, but a process that you are the resurrection. That you continue to mold us and shape us. So God, we ask you now, would you speak to us in this time? God, don't let us walk away unchanged today. God, speak to every heart in this room. And Lord, we ask you, earnestly, we ask you. We know that we are so far from perfect, and we need you in every moment and every day. So God, would you speak a truth into our heart today that would cause us to walk out of these doors radically changed by who you are and what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we love you. We love you, and we pray this together. And everybody said, amen. Thanks, Zach. We're so glad you're here today. Let me ask a question. Show of hands. How many of you are movie buffs? Are you movie buffs? You like movies? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I see a lot of hands. Wow. Wow, wow. Laura's one of these people that memorizes lines in movies. I don't know how she does this, but there's some movies that she knows the line. And then whenever we're watching a movie, like on TV or whatever, we see a movie and there's somebody, that, there's some character. She's like, what else have they been in? And she can like rattle off all the things they've been in. It's like this unpaid talent that she has. Now, I I, I told y'all several months ago, I'm an app junkie. Are y'all app junkies? Y'all have an app for everything? So one of the apps I have is IMDB. That's the Internet Movie Database. And so you can punch in a character, you can learn all about it. There's a little parental section in there, parents. So if you're wondering, hey, what's in this movie? Can we, can we watch this? So that's in there. And then there's another app I alluded to. I didn't say what it was from the platform. Some people were like after the service, hey, what is the app? What's the app? There's another app. Don't laugh. It's called Run P. It's called Run P. And that is, you know that, right? So Run P tells you uh, if you're going to miss any scenes, if you have to leave the theater for some reason. <laughs> it tells you when you can run and pee, right? So I wasn't planning on using that. That was not in my notes. But it'll actually time it. It's like, hey, when you see the, the beginning logo, click start on the timer, and it'll tell you exactly. And then it tells you if there's anything at the end of it. It tells you if there's anything after the credits. So it's very, very helpful. And so, uh, so some people are just movie junkies. And so a couple of years ago, about four years ago, actually, I was at a conference, and one of the speakers was an author, a guy named Donald Miller. And Donald Miller uh, had sort of his life story turned into a movie. And so he was talking about this idea of the power of story, that stories resonate with people. There's a reason why people like movies. There's a reason why people read books. There's something about taking disconnected thoughts and putting together in a story, and that story really is powerful. And so as he was talking, he talked about that in movies, there's basically just a handful of storylines. He talks about in most movies that you watch, there's some character who is an unlikely hero. It's just a person that... That, that's an unlikely hero that experiences a problem. Something pops up they need help with. And so somewhere along the way in the movie, they meet a guide. Sometimes the guide is a person, sometimes it's a plan, sometimes it's a, it's a book or whatever. But this unlikely hero has a problem and they meet a guide and this guide gives them a game plan. It says, here's how you navigate this. Here's how you get through this. And then if you'll put it into action, 
either it's going to lead to success and everything's going to be great or it's going to be a failure. And as he described that, I started thinking through every movie I've ever seen. I'm like, man, I can see that. I can see Katniss who has this problem and she meets Hamish, right? And so I'm going through all of this stuff. And he talked about the power of story. And then as I started thinking about it in my own life, around the same time I heard him talking about this, I was entering into a season where I was jumping into a year-long mentorship program with a handful of guys. It's going to be really intense. And as part of my assignment to actually get into the groove, I had to write three different things. And one of the things that I had to write was my own funeral service. Think about that. That's kind of weird, right? That's kind of dark at 11 on a Sunday morning. But basically the writing assignment was if you were able to attend your own funeral and watch from the back, what would you want said about you? What would you want them to say? And, uh, you know, your spouse, if you're married, kids, if you have them, coworkers, family members, neighbors, what would you, and I'm telling you, between hearing Donald Miller talk about this and then doing that assignment, it just reminded me that essentially every single life is a story that there's a lot of random events. There's a lot of things that happen in our lifetime. If you're to group them together, they're the story of our life, that one day we're gonna pass away and one day somebody's gonna stand up and they're gonna talk about our life. They're gonna talk about our hopes and our dreams. They're gonna talk about uh, what kind of friend we were, what kind of spouse we were, what kind of worker we were. And essentially all of these things that in the moment seem insignificant, Right? All of these things that in the moment don't seem like a big deal, when you group them together, they actually become a story. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the point of the story. If we're not careful, we get stalled out. Man, I, I meet people all the time that feel like they thought their story would be further along than it actually is. I meet that even with college students. College students are like, man, I thought after I'd been in college, I would finally know what my major was going to be after changing it three or four times. Or then I meet a college graduate. They're like, man, I finally got the degree. Now I thought I would get a real job, right? A real job that actually has benefits. But instead, I got this degree and now I'm working in something that isn't even connected to my degree. Or I meet single folks. They're like, man, I thought by now I would be married. And then I meet married folks that thought by now I thought I'd have a happy marriage. And then I meet other folks that are like, I thought we would have kids by now. Or I thought I would be retired by now. Or I thought, and somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, We'll get so caught up in a season, we'll get so caught up in a scene to use the story idea that we'll forget the big thing that God wants to do through our story. So over these next couple of weeks, one big idea is that your story matters. It really does. And so one of the ways that Donald talked about this that resonated with me was by looking in the Old Testament at a guy named Joseph. And so today, I'm just gonna kick us off today. I'm just gonna give you a little teaser. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna dig in deeper. So if there was a week to miss, guess what? Today was it. So you blew it, right? You missed your one opportunity to, to miss. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm telling you, we're gonna dial in intentionally to talk about how your story matters. How do you live a better story? But if you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have some of these verses on the screen and in our app. But in Genesis chapter 37, we meet this young guy whose name is Joseph. He's about 16 years old when we meet him. He's a young guy. He's got a lot of brothers. He's got a lot of brothers. Well, the problem is 
if there is one, is that Joseph is the youngest of all the brothers. And so this gentleman has a lot of kids, and then in his old age, he has almost a bonus child, a surprise child, like, oh, I, I, we didn't expect you kind of child. And this is Joseph. He's the child of his old age. And so because of this, he gets treated favorably. So his dad does extra stuff for him. And so there's this young kid, all of his older brothers, dad treats them with favoritism. And because of that, there's tension in the family. And so out of his story, I wanna show you basically three parts I think that are true of your story and my story. And so the first one's this, and you're welcome to write these down if you've got the, the bulletin, the handout for today. But the first part of our story that I want us to recognize is number one, your story has a unique design. Your story has a unique design. What I mean when I say that is there's something that you're meant to do. God's given you amazing abilities, talents, giftings. God's wired you with certain personality traits. When Zach was talking about doing the meet and greet and shaking hands, he talked about all, all the introverts stand there quietly and awkwardly. That was Austin and myself back by the soundboard. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? And all the extroverts, like my wife, were going around hugging everybody. Oh, how are you? Miss Betty was up and down the aisle there, right? Everybody's wired a little bit differently. We, we have a unique background. We have a unique family that we came from, a unique place in the world that we we're born in. We have gifts and talents, abilities. We have circumstances around us. Every single one of us has a unique design. And that's true of this young kid named Joseph. Here's what it says in Genesis 37. It says, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records. And here's what it says. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the, the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, and Joseph brought back a bad report to their father. Now, let me just pause there for a second. So there's older brothers that feel like they've been ignored. There's a younger brother that's being treated as the favorite. The older brothers are out in the field working hard. The younger brother's watching from a distance in this fancy coat that his dad had given to him. Do you see any tension in that story? I don't know if you have younger brothers or sisters or not. I am the younger brother in my family. I've got an amazing brother. He's four years older than me. But when I read the story, I see me in the story because I recognize there were times in my life where I was the, my spiritual gift was the tattletale of the family. Any of y'all with me on that? If you've got siblings, if you've got younger brothers, younger sisters, you're thinking of them right now, right? Sorry to bring that up. But here's Joseph, the favorite kid with this fancy coat on, younger than the rest, and he sees his brother sort of goofing off, and he goes back and he gives a bad report to the dad. So here's the thing. Joseph has a unique design. There's something he's meant to do. In fact, he ends up having a dream, and the dream is that one day all of his brothers were actually going to bow down before him. So think about this. Not only... Is he the favorite child? Not only does he tattletale on his brothers, but then he tells his brothers, oh, by the way, there's gonna be a day that you actually bow on your knee before me. How do you think the brothers reacted? They weren't like, oh, that's awesome, we can't wait. No, in fact, if you know the story, and again, this is just an intro week, so you'll have to dig into this on your own. But if you know the stories, the brothers hate him so much, they get so angry with him. In fact, over and over again in these verses, it says, well, down in verse five, it says, then Joseph has this dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So you see this tension, you see this drama. And so they eventually come up with this plan. Some of his brothers are like, let's kill him. And then some of the other brothers are like, no, 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 let's throw him in the well. And then some of his other brothers are, no, let's sell him into slavery. But here's the point. 
Joseph has a unique design. There's something he's meant to do. There's something he was designed to do. But just because you begin to sense it, just because that's true of you doesn't mean that you're necessarily ready. At this point in the story, Joseph is still young. At this point in the story, he's still a little bit arrogant. But behind this dream was the calling of God on his life. And you have that as well. There is something you're meant to do. There's something that when you wake up and you think about it, there's something that when you see it, somebody needs to do something about Somebody often is someone that's you, that's me. There's something you're meant to do. But just like Joseph, there's some rough edges in our life. Just like Joseph, there are some things that we need to work on. There's some things we need to grow through. This is sort of my story. Over the years, I've told y'all bits and pieces of my story, but it was in high school that I started sensing that God was calling me into ministry. And what that means is I just had this sense that I was meant to serve the church in some capacity. And along the way, it was you're meant to preach within the church and you're meant to, that's your part, you're what you're meant to do. And honestly, I begin to second guess that. I mean, some of y'all know a little bit of my story, but I'm definitely more wired introverted and I'm more of a, a, a practical kind of thinker. That's why I've got points. <laughs> so when, I, when I'm like, hey, point number one, right? That, that's just sort of how I'm wired. And the problem for me was in high school, I started comparing myself to every other person that was doing what I felt called to do. And so we would go to all these big youth conferences and all of the preachers I saw on platforms like this were totally different than me. So I started second guessing my unique design. I started thinking, man, I need to be more like them. So I'd hear this preacher on stage at some big conference and they always had a crazy story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some people just have crazy, crazy stories about how they came to faith. And so sometimes those preacher guys would be all yelling and spitting on stage. And this one guy is sort of like, man, there was a time in my life when I kicked my parents out of their house and then I burned their house down. I went to jail, but the Holy Spirit broke me out and changed my fingerprints. And then I went into the fourth grade and I, uh, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> all, right. Th all right, and I'm like, that's not my story. Or I'd go home and I'd end up on one of those crazy preacher channels, you know, flipping channels on crazy, you know what I'm talking about? And there'd be a preacher on there that also had a crazy story. They're like, I used to be an ax murderer, but Jesus changed my life. I wrote a brand new book called Ax Me About the Lord go buy it, Amazon, right? And I, I would hear all these stories and I think that's not my story. I'm not wired that way. And so I started second guessing the way that God wired me because I wasn't really rebellious about the, the rowdiest I got in elementary school as I sat too close to the TV on Saturday mornings. Edgy, right? Real troublemaker, right? I was the kind of kid that you could just look at me sternly and I'd start crying. I mean, I'm not proud to admit that. I just lost my man card, but it's true. I did try smoking pot once, but I couldn't get my lips around the lid. So that was, <laughs> that is a terrible preacher joke. Ginger's like, oh, Bobby, why did you? There's these preacher joke books. I know, I'm just kidding. 
but I, you know, your story's not the same as mine, but I guarantee you, you've got a unique design. And if you're not careful, you compare your story to everybody else's. And then if you're not careful, you'll forget the uniqueness. There's something you're meant to do. There's some wiring that God, God's placed inside of you, some gifting that you're meant to do. And too often we get on social media and we look at everybody else's story. We're like, oh, they're on vacation again. Oh, they bought a new car again. Oh, they're doing, and, and we start comparing. And here's what we forget. That's somebody's highlight reel. That's not their real life. Nobody's posting, man, I was grumpy when I got up this morning. Nobody's posting, man, that went wrong again. And what we forget is that when God looks down at us, he's not like, hey, why can't you look more like the highlight reel? God looks down and says, why can't you do what I uniquely designed you to do? So number one, here's the first thing that I know about your story and mine is it has a unique design. But here's the second thing that I know about your story as well is number two, there's a lot of ups and downs in your story. There's a lot of ups and downs in your story. I mean, if you're to think about this idea of a movie and think about the, the storyline in a movie, basically there's, a, there's a, a plot line that goes throughout whatever that movie is, right? There's a, there's a story being played out. And I guarantee you the movies that we're excited about are the ones that have ups and downs on that storyline. The movies that we actually like rewatching are the ones that have, have, have success and drama, success and drama, success and drama. That's why I do not understand Lifetime movies. I just don't understand them. Whenever we go home to visit my mom, she's, she's already watching either Hallmark or Lifetime Christmas movies. And there's no ups and downs in them. It's, their titles are like Riding with Sally on the Bus. That's it. Well, what was the movie about? Well, Sally got on the bus and rode with a friend. Awesome, right? <laughs> Compelling stories have a lot of ups and downs, and that's true in Joseph's life. I mean, if you read between chapter 37 and chapter 49, here's what you find. In fact, check out the screen. Let me show you just a nutshell version of the storyline of Joseph's life. And so when you think about Joseph's life, here's what happens. On the positive side of the storyline, on the upside of the storyline, he has a dream. And the dream is, hey, one day you're going to be able to help thousands of people. You're actually going to help save the world. That's awesome. That's great. But there's a downward part of the story because he ends up telling that dream to his brothers, right? He's like, one day you're going to bow before me. And they get angry. And then they throw him into a whale. So think about this. So it starts out positive. Hey, I've got this dream. God's going to use me. It's going to be unbelievable. But then he tells his brothers, he gets thrown into it. Well, and at first they're going to leave him there to die. They're going to leave him there to die. But then somewhere along the way, one of the brothers sees these people traveling and says, hey, why don't we sell him into slavery? So the positive is he's rescued from the well. He's like, awesome. I'm getting out of the well. The downfall is, oh yeah, I'm out of the well, but I'm being sold into slavery down again, right? But when he ends up finding out where he's serving in slavery, he ends up in Egypt and he ends up serving the second most powerful man in the land, a guy named Potiphar. So if there's a positive to slavery, that's a good one. Hey, if I got to serve somebody, I might as well serve the second most important man in the land. So there's an upside to the story. But the problem is Potiphar has a wife. Now we don't know what her name is, but so I'll just call her Mrs. Potiphar. So Mrs. Potiphar has all of this pent up romantic 
energy, if you know what I'm saying, and she wants to take it out on Joseph, but Joseph, being a man of integrity, runs from her. She's not used to being rejected, so she lies about him. She screams, she hollers, she accuses him to, uh, of rape, and so he ends up being falsely accused, and he ends up getting thrown into jail. But while he's in jail, he's like, man, I've, I've been overlooked. If, if Pharaoh only knew my story, well, in the jail cell, he meets the cupbearer and the baker. These are two guys that have a lot of access to, to Potiphar or uh, to the Pharaoh. And so Joseph thinks, man, if one of them would just remember me, if one of them would remember me, this is gonna be a positive part of the story. They'll, they'll, they'll say to Pharaoh, hey, this guy is innocent. The problem is the cupbearer promises, yeah, I'll remember you, but then he actually forgets, he actually forgets. And so Joseph remains in jail until Pharaoh eventually has a dream and he doesn't know what that dream means. And so finally the cupbearer's like, oh yeah, a few years ago I met this, this kid named Joseph that could actually interpret dreams. Why don't you bring, so the upside of the story is he ends up getting to stand before Pharaoh. He ends up giving Pharaoh a game plan. Hey, here's what you need to do. Well, what he didn't expect to happen was he ends up being put in charge of this game plan. He ages, so he's in Egypt for a lot of years. Later, when the famine actually hits and they need to use his plan, guess who's also affected? His home family, his brothers, his dad. And so his dad sends his brothers to travel hundreds of miles to go to Egypt to ask for food. And so the downside of the story is Joseph walks into the room and there are his brothers begging for help. They don't recognize him. Chances are he's aged 20, 30, 40 years. Chances are he's got a big burly uh, beard. Chances are he's dark complected from being out in the sun, working all the time. They don't recognize, they haven't seen him 20, 30 years. And so they don't know that it's him. All this time they've been lying to their dad saying that their brother was dead. So he walks in the room, he's reunited with them. They're scared to death. They think now he's gonna get even with us. Once they find out who he is, they think he's gonna get even with us. But then the positive part of the story is he ends up forgiving them. And then he ends up saving literally the world. Now look at that for a second. There's a lot of ups and downs in that story. It's not up and to the right like we want in business world. Hey, we want this spreadsheet to go up and to the right, this chart to go up and to the right. Now why are there a lot of ups and downs? Because God often uses those ups and downs to shape us into people he can use. God is far more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. God is far more concerned about who we're becoming than the situation that we find ourselves in. There's a lot of ups and downs. And the reason why this is so convicting to me is because I love it in a movie. Man, I love it when there's this suspenseful moment in a movie. I love it when there's that scene where things could go either way. I love it when I see it on the screen, but I rarely love it when I see it in my own life. Are y'all tracking with me? More often than not, we want it just to be all on the positive side. We want it just to be the easy stuff. We just want it to be on the top of the line, but that's not a compelling story. That's not a compelling life. I guarantee you, the people that you look up to, one of the reasons why they're the kind of person that you can look up to them is because they went through successfully the ups and downs. So here's what I know about your story. Number one, you have a unique design. Number two, there's gonna be a lot of ups and downs in that story. But here's the last one for today. Number three, your story actually can be used to shape destiny. Now let, me, let that just sink in for a second. 
your story can actually be used to shape destiny. That sounds kind of big for a Sunday morning. That sounds kind of big if you woke up a little bit dragon today. That sounds kind of big if you had a fight on the way to church. That sounds a little too romantic if there's junk going on in your life. But I think we forget that God can reach into any story. God can reach into any life. God can reach into any plot point up or down. And he can use that thing to actually change the world. Here's what it says for Joseph. Again, we're going to dig into this idea next week even deeper. But here's what happens for Joseph. So his brothers finally realize who he is, and they're afraid he's going to kill us. They're afraid he's going to get even. They're afraid he's going to give them what they deserve. But listen to what Joseph says at the end of the story in Genesis 49. It says in verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Like, what? Are you kidding me? We threw you in a well. We sold you into slavery. We told our father that you've been dead this whole time. And here's what he says. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. What, what, wait a minute. We sold you into slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you meant for evil, God intended for good to accomplish what is being done now. Well, what's being done now? Look at this last phrase. The saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. See, when I was getting ready for this week, I researched all these heroic stories. I've got like five stories in my notes of people that have done unbelievable things, that started nonprofits, that traveled the world, that did all of these unbelievable things and how their story has changed the world. But this morning when I got ready to walk out during the last hour, it was like the best hero story I know is actually my mom. My mom is uh, like four foot ten. She's teeny tiny. My dad was six four. He he used to joke. He was like, I needed someone I could pick up and shake when she got out of control or something. I forget what the cheesy dad joke was. It was just, he was six four. She's four ten. Big, huge difference. The deal with my mom is she was born months premature. I forget what week uh, she was at, but she was uh, just a, a hair over two pounds, something uh, something really crazy. And she wasn't expected to live when she was born. In fact, they had sort of this little shoe box that they put her in and in the hospital room, they had drawers. So they pulled one of the drawers out and set her there. And it was a, a, a stormy snowstorm night in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so they were calling for any pastor to come and be with the family. And uh, I, I guess uh, nobody was traveling. There's, uh, there's a Episcopal, Episcopalian priest that was on site. So he came up to the room. They didn't expect her to live. So he sprinkled her with holy water. And so she beat the odds. So, she, you know, she obviously lived. But what she walked into was she walked into a family that was like World War III every single day. Her dad and her mom were just always at odds with each other. Her mom was just really, really hard on her and really, really hard on her sister. And, man, did some crazy stuff, man. There was one, one, one day that my mom returned home from school, and all of her stuff was in the front yard because she forgot to, she didn't straighten up her room just right before she left for school. And so her mom just took all of her stuff and threw it out onto the, the, the front yard. There's another time my mom got an A in uh, home ec or one of those classes where she had 
uh, put together a dress. She had sewn this dress together and got an A on it, brought it home, and her mom was just overly critical and started picking apart, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And so her mom literally rips the threads out of it and remakes it and says, here's how you do it. And then when she was a senior in high school, because she was born so premature, her right hip never fully developed. And so they had to go in and do hip surgery. And this hip surgery caused her right leg to be shorter than her left leg. So my whole life, she's always walked with a limp. And so she was in a body cast for months of her senior year where her dad literally would have to pick her up and take her to the bathroom, take her to shower, all of this stuff. I mean, just totally helpless. Then her parents went through this ugly divorce and Man, it's just on and on and on and on and on and on and on, just drama after drama after drama after drama. And yet, somehow, everybody that meets her for the first time says to me, she's the sweetest person I've ever met. She spent 20-something years in education as a teacher's assistant uh, in an elementary school, and there's not one time I've been home to Mississippi and gone to Walmart with her and there not be several people stop me and say, man, your mom is amazing. And then 10 years ago, for my dad to pass away after only being diagnosed with cancer three months before, man, she has been through so many things. If anybody could become a victim, she could. If anybody could sit back and say, man, why did this happen? And why did you allow it? Why, 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 why? But instead of being a victim, She's allowed God to redeem her story. And maybe some people wouldn't be like, well, she hasn't changed the world, but I guarantee you she's changed hundreds of kids' worlds. She's changed my world. She's changed my brother's world. She's changed my niece's world. She's changed hundreds of kids, if not thousands, that have come through her classes over the, the years. And so I want to say to every parent in the house, your story really does matter. And God uses you every single day in the lives of many, if, even if they're just your little ones. I say to every single dad in the house today, your words matter. That what you say to your little ones will shape them for the rest of their lives. To every mom in the house, what you do every single day matters. To every grandparent, your presence in their life matters. To every single person that serves, man, your story matters. Never underestimate, never take for granted. To every leader in here, to every boss that's represented in here, the way you lead matters. You're investing in a team and you're affecting their lives forever. And so at the end of the day, my prayer is don't take it for granted. Don't wish for somebody else's story. Don't allow yourself to play the victim. But would you realize that you have a story and that your story really does matter. And my hope is over these next couple weeks, we'll not only re recognize that, but we'll actually learn how to live a better story. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father God, I'm so grateful for how you've used just this idea in my own life. God, there's been a lot of ups and downs. There's, there's been days that I feel like I do better than others. There's a lot of days that I wish I could rewrite. But God, in this day, in this moment, online and in this room, God, would you cause this truth just to rise up inside of us, that we've got a life to live. We're, we're writing a story every single day. And God, would you help us? Would you help us to live a story in a light of you? Because when it comes to ups and downs, you lived that out on this earth. You lived a perfect, sinless life, and yet you died on the cross for our sins. 
so that we could have forgiveness and new life in you. And so, Father, I pray for anybody that hasn't had that moment in their story, that you would help them to turn from their sin and turn to you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue worshiping today, one of the most powerful parts of the story of God was the price that Jesus paid for us. Right before Jesus went to the cross, right before he was betrayed, he had this meal with his disciples that we called the Last Supper. It was a chance for Jesus to take an image that they knew about from their days in Egypt and to give it and fuse it with a fuller meaning where Jesus says, look, this, this meal that you've had for hundreds of years to remember that you were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus basically says, look, that's a pointer to the bigger story that you weren't just physically slaves in Egypt, but spiritually were slaves to sin. And that when Jesus goes to the cross, that he dies for our sin, my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. When he came back to life, he made it possible for anybody to have that new life. So when Jesus had that last meal with his disciples, he said, take, eat, this bread is my body that's broken for you. Take, drink, this is my blood. And so several times throughout the year, we just pause and we say, let's remember what Jesus did. Let's reflect on the significance of that. And let's renew within ourselves this, this focus on him. And so I wanna invite you to be part of this moment that we call communion. Now, different churches call it different things. Some people call it the Lord's Supper based on Jesus having that last supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. Uh, some people call it communion. But there's nothing magical about what we're about to do. There's nothing magical about the juice that's in the cup or the bread that's underneath that cup. But what it is powerful is that symbol of what Jesus did. And so I wanna invite you, there's tables here across the front. There's tables stationed in the back as well. I wanna invite you, would you just begin to make your way to the closest table to you and grab a stack of cups. There's two cups stacked on each other. And if anybody needs a gluten-free option, those are down here right in the center, right in front of me. So if you need that, feel free to make your way down. But again, there's two cups in that stack, one that has the bread, one that has the juice. I wanna invite you to just to grab that and to make your way back to your seat. And then as you carry that, would you think about the significance of this? that if you know Christ personally, again, if you don't know him, I would just invite you just to quietly, just bow your head and, and just observe as those around you partake. Or if you've got kiddos with you, feel free to tell them the significance of it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I and separate them. When Jesus had this meal with those disciples, he had this bread and he separated, he broke it and he gave it to them. And it was the picture of his body. 
that he was about to go to the cross and his body would be broken as a gift to everyone else. And as he had that bread, he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus took the cup and he used it as an image to say in a similar way that this could be spelled out he's like my blood is that way that the way that we're forgiven of our sins is that the one who knew no sin paid for our sin on our behalf so he took that cup and he said take drink this is the blood 